Father, in our life, in our walk with you, that you would help us. Lord, you've given to every man the measure of faith. But just as the disciples said, Lord, he said, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. God, even though we believe in you and we have the measure of faith, there are times that our faith is challenged. There are times we question moments and situations in our life. And it's in those places, Lord. We pray, help us, Lord God, in our unbelief. Increase our faith. Lord, increase the trust that we have in you. To be the kind of trust, Lord, that knows. And as we hear your word, inspired by your spirit, Lord, a rhema in our heart, when we know that you've spoken to us, that just like Peter, when he stepped on the water, it wasn't just stepping out on the water to walk on, it was stepping out at your word. When you bid him to come, he could step out on that water and it would become a strong substance beneath his feet, not because water's solid, but because his faith was solid in you. Let our faith be that strong, God, in you. And Lord, we'd open our ears as we learned last week. Abraham kept his ear attuned to you. And Father, when you ask him for something, he moved. And even when he moved in faith to do exactly what you asked him, his ear was still attuned to you to be obedient all the way through. So that, Father, you would ask of him but did not require of him anything but faith. And Father, I pray for us that we would have the kind of faith in you. And Lord, when we hear your word, we would act upon it. We would not hesitate, but we would move in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Oh, praise God. You may be seated. <clears throat> Conduct a little bit of, of business here before I get into the word. I didn't really, wasn't looking for an illustration of, you know, last week's message. I was talking about faith and that, you know, that God will take care of every situation in our life and and if we'll be obedient to move at his word um, that he's going to be our provider God's going to provide for us uh, at every step of the way and um, uh, I talked about the fact of his name when when Abraham called him Jehovah Jireh uh, the Lord our provider Abraham was declaring uh, about God that God would see the need and he would meet the need part of that name simply means God sees it, and therefore what God sees, he will see too, right? He see to the matter, right? Have you ever said that, you know, I'll see to it that it gets done. When God sees those needs in our life, he also is going to see to it that it gets done. But he's established a way for that to happen, and it cannot happen outside of our faith in him. It can't happen outside of our trusting him and moving upon his word because to do that would be to allow us to go the direction we're going in life without acknowledging God and yet he rewards us for going our own way rather than going his way today I'm going to be speaking a little bit more uh, in into that matter of the will of God in our life finding the will of God in our life once we found the will of God the promise if you will the will of God to us as individuals is the promise of God to us it is God's will, right, that we would prosper. Is that right? Uh, come on now. 
That wasn't good enough. Does God want you to prosper? How many of you believe God wants you to be in poverty? When he looks at you, he thinks, I just want you to be the poorest person on the planet. Does God think that way about us? He doesn't. Now, when I speak of prosperity, am I talking just about money? No, absolutely not. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about your marriage relationship, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your friends, your church relationship, your relationship in your workplace, your ability to produce in the workplace, mind you. Why? Uh, Let me give you an example. It's God that gives you witty ideas. The Bible says that God gives you witty ideas. What's a witty idea? A good idea, right? And if you come up with a good idea in the workplace, is that a rewarding thing? Absolutely. Does, does the boss tend to want to reward people who are productive in the workplace? Come on now. It's a fact. So, so when you start to track in on the fact that God's word says that he gives me witty ideas, all of a sudden my prayer around God's word starts to engage him. Give me a witty idea, God. Give me something that will succeed. If you give me an idea that will succeed, it will give me influence among the people that I'm around. And that influence, Lord, that you give me, I want to use to bring glory to you. Come on now. That's why he gives you the witty ideas. I talked about last week a little bit. Uh, we, we hit the tithe pretty strong. Who, who, who felt like I hit that pretty strong? Give an amen if you felt like, man, pastor, we're just talking about money the whole service, right? I was. I was talking about the tithe. But was I talking about money? If I talk about the tithe, am I talking about money? But if I'm talking about the tithe, right, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, right, put me to the test. What did we talk about last week? The test of faith, right? That we have a test of our faith, to trust God with basically what we have, if you will, that we haven't done it on our own, but what we've done has been a result of his work in our life. Amen? And that what he does to put us to the test, to test our faith in him, do you believe it's God that's done that for you, or do you believe you've done it for yourself? Did, did, did Abraham and Sarah make Isaac? And for those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about the story of, of Abraham and how God promised. You know what? Let's go back and read that in Genesis. It'll make life a whole lot easier. Wasn't going to go back to that. We're going to be jumping to uh, Joshua today and talking about Joshua, but it'll bring some good perspective here. And it's actually in Genesis 15 is where you're going to want to go. That's not going to be on your screen because I'm just wanting to give you some context here. So here's how how it goes. Uh, Genesis 15:1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram. His name wasn't even Abraham yet. He spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and uh, and your uh, reward will be great. I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Now I want to show you something there. You will. Who will? 
there's a lot of wills that are used in Scripture. God will say, if you will, then I will. And right here, what God says to Abraham as he's complaining to God. You ever complain to God? Nobody in here has complained to God. We all complain to God. This isn't going right, and that's not going right. And God puts something on us. He says, if you will, I will. His word is full of I wills for our life. God will in our life. Jehovah Jireh will in our life. If you will, the great I am will in our life if we will. If we will come into covenant with him. See, this is what Abram, this is what happened. God had called him out from among his kinfolk to make him kinfolk with God. God calls him his friend in this area of scripture. He declares Abraham to be his friend. God makes covenant with him. He goes on. He says, for you will have a son of your of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many your descendants will uh, you will have. That's how many descendants you will have. I got King James bouncing around in my head. I'm in NLT. <clears throat> And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as counted it as righteousness because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as a possession. What's God doing here? God is successively making a series of promises. Our series here is the promise. What is God's promise in your life according to his word? Right here we see that Abraham is being promised that he will have as many heirs as he can count the stars and as the sand of the sea. You and I, according to faith in Jesus Christ, are part of Abraham's descendants. The Bible declares him to be the father of our faith. He is the father of the covenant that was made with God that we enter into. Last week we talked about him taking his only son up to offer him a sacrifice. God asked him for his only son. Some of my kids were like, Dad, that's like weird. I mean, if I tell my friends that, they're thinking God wanted his son. The reality is God didn't want his son. God was going to give his own, but he put a man to the test of whether he would give God exactly what God was going to turn and give to the world. He asked that man for his only son, the only son he had because of God's promise in his life. And, and as a result of Abraham's obedience to God in covenant, a faith covenant is that I don't know how God's going to Work in this situation, but I trust him. But I trust him. Every single one of us are put to those tests each and every day of our life, our walk with Christ. We are put to test of whether we trust God or we trust others or this world. We are put to that test. We have decisions before us every day. Decisions like, should I share Christ with that person? I mean, they might get mad at me. They might reject me. They might not treat me good anymore. Our faith gets tested, and in the midst of that test, we pass or we fail. The cool thing about the New Testament and what Jesus has provided for us, for however many times we failed, God has given us another chance. Come on now. In other words, you haven't failed big enough. You haven't failed big enough for God to be limited on how he can work in your life to help you succeed. That's the promise of God. Amen. Listen to this as it goes on. Verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness because of his faith. 
Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land as your possession. But Abraham, Abram, excuse me, replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Do you ever ask that question of God? How can I be sure what you're promising me that I can actually have? Abram asked that question. It goes on, the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat, goat a, th- a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram, Abram uh, presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. Here's what that was. This is a sacrifice that he brought to God. He brought that uh, blood sacrifice. He brought it to make covenant with God. He understood from, from uh, Abel in the Garden of Eden after, after sin had entered in that only blood would atone for sin. Only blood would atone for sin. Therefore began animal sacrifice. We know that the blood of bulls and goats do not satisfy forever. It covered for a year, according to the law. But Jesus, right, his blood has been shed for sin once and for all. Amen? And so here he is making covenant with God through sacrifice. And he's placed that there. And, of course, vultures, look, there'll be vultures that will swoop down on the sacrifice you offer to God. There'll be something try to come. And take away what you're offering to God to distract you from the fact that you are in covenant. Shoo them away. Whatever you do, get the vultures. Those thoughts, to me, it's the demonic tutors. If we think of vultures, when when Jesus talks about the scripture that the seed is sown, I don't know if we're going to get to, I don't know if we're going to get to the next. We'll get, we'll just have to push that out for the next message. but here's where we're at, is that things will swoop down. Jesus compares that the word, word of God is sown, that the seed, right, that the fowl of the air come and immediately pluck the seed. They take the seed of God's word. When he compares that, when the disciples are asking him to explain it, what does he compare the fowl of the air to? The devil. Immediately the devil, the enemy comes to steal the word of God. Here's Abraham. Laying out a sacrifice and making covenant with God just as he had asked. And in the midst of that, vultures swoop down. These birds swoop down to try and take his sacrifice. I don't know what you've offered to God. I promise you this. There's not too many people that serve the Lord that I know that, that don't have those moments all by yourself. Or whatever's going on in your life. The challenges that are going on in life that you need faith to get through. You need God's promises to come through for your life. And in that moment, somewhere, you're sitting over there in a corner. By yourself, you're sitting there. God, if you'll do this, you know, I'll I'll do this, Lord, if you do this. Who's done that? You know, God, if you'll just do this, you know, Lord, would you do this and this and this? And and Father, I'll, man, I'll, I'll be faithful to you, all this, all that. Right. What happens? We enter into this place. We start to make promises. Right. We, we here's the funny thing. When we're in a situation, look, when you're in a financial situation, how many times do you find scriptures come to mind of what God has said about your finance? 
He would that you prosper just as your soul prospers, right? Right? He wants you to have life and life more abundantly. And certain scriptures start kind of bouncing. Like, God, you promised this and you said this to me. I know your word says this. And we start to call upon that, right? And all of a sudden, what do we start to wade through? What do we wade through? Where is my relationship with God? give you an example i'm gonna look for somebody i don't really know well in here it might be hard to do mm-hmm. oh, you know i don't know have i ever met you never met you before what's your name dean, dean? that's my grandfather's name he's I passed your i know that <laughs> thank god i finally found my grandpa folks you know <laughs> uh, he's in heaven now uh dean you never met right i'd like to ask you to give me two thousand dollars would you do that Yes, sure you would. (laughs) Y'all get that, right? Dean doesn't know me. He's not going to reach in his pocket and start shelling out, right? How well do you know God? How well do you know him? The way his son died on the cross for me, yes, he has given you and bestowed upon you salvation. My question is, are you working out that salvation? Are you connecting to the word of God? In regard to the covenant that you've made with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Or do you see it that that everything that Jesus has done, he's done for me, and I don't owe him anything. I owe him nothing. I don't have to do anything in my relationship with him. He's done it all for me, man. I'm going to live this life, do whatever I want, and I'm not going to honor God in any capacity whatsoever, and yet I'm going to get all his benefits. Do you honestly think that our Father in heaven sits there and says, yeah, absolutely. That that's the kind of father he would be? Absolutely not. Salvation, yes, you didn't earn it. But working out your salvation has everything to do with your obedience to walking according to his commands. Has it ever struck you interesting to see somebody who's a non-believer and see them blessed beyond belief? You're just like, man, why would God bless that person, right? Because his word declares that it rains on the just and the unjust. And how does it rain on the just and the unjust? It is a crazy thing to watch somebody that does not love Jesus, is not in covenant with Jesus, but exercise the commands of God. That you'll watch them give back to society. They'll give into other people, right? Give and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. See, people that are givers find that it's called, here's what it's called in secular society. Here's what the rule is, the law of reciprocity, right? And we all enter into, uh, be it work or relationships, with what's called the law of reciprocity, what the Bible declares to be the law of sowing and reaping. Give me an example. Who has a job? Raise your hand if you have a job, right? Or you'd like a job. Either way it goes, hands up, right? Here's, here's what it comes down to, law of reciprocity. You go to work for your boss, he doesn't pay you, and you're okay with it. You're not, law of reciprocity. Sowing and re- You expect that if I go there and I work, I'm going to get something back, correct? Do you think God sowed his son into our, our life that he doesn't, there's nothing he expects back from us? Absolutely not. God expects relationship from us. Look, as we go on through this passage right here, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants 
will be strangers in a foreign land where there will be, uh, they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. Now stop right there and I'll just say this. Here is God giving a promise to Abram. His promise is based, watch this, here's a blessing on these people's lives. That God is saying their sins don't yet warrant judgment. But because of God's foreknowledge, he knows that they're going to continue to go down that road. And judgment will come. And when that judgment comes, that's when your descendants are going to get it. Now, here is a righteous man, Abram, right? Here's what's amazing about that. You're going to die, but your kids will get it. You're going to die, but everybody else that comes after you, my son, will receive the promise through you. See, everything that Abraham did was to be an end sample. The Bible talks about that, that what we call the types and shadows of Scripture, that what happened in the Old Testament was a type and shadow of what would come in Christ Jesus. That everything Abraham did, when you take his son Isaac, offering him up, then God comes along and does exactly that and does not require the fullness of that sacrifice from Abraham. All he required from him was faith, was a trust in God that God would bring it about. And even in the promise that for Abraham, I've not promised this to you so you can be selfish. It's not all about you, Abraham. It's about the descendants that will come. The promise I made where I ask you to look into the heavens and look at the stars and count them. The sand on the, on the seashore, to count it. This will be your descendants. That because Abraham was the type of guy to trust in God, not to be selfish, to be obedient to God every step of the way, that you and I benefit from Abraham's sacrifice. Okay, now you have a little bit of backstory on that. Talked last week about... Um, how uh, Abraham offered his son up. We talked about that walk of obedience and trusting in God. And I do want to jump into this and, and try to move along fairly quickly. Um, I'll get you some good points here to walk out with today. Um, promise, the word promise. According to the dictu- dictionary, the word promise means decla- a declaration assuring that one will or will not do something. That one will or will not do something. That when we read God's word and he says, if you do this, I will do this. When you sit in that corner by yourself and situations in life and you start saying, God, I'll do this if you'll do this in my life, right? Come on now. We all do it. Follow through on your promise. Keep your promise to God. I guarantee you he keeps his promise to us. Amen. It also means... That uh, to afford, this is really good, to afford a basis for expecting. Can you expect God to do what his word says he'll do? Can you place an expectation on him? Can you read his word and recite? Actually, the Bible tells us that we are to speak his word back to him. That we are to, he, he says that 
Declare to me what I have spoken to you. God's word teaches us to declare his word. Not our own words, but we're supposed to grab a hold of his words and speak those into existence over our life. Are you talking about positive speaking, Pastor? Well, it's a lot better than negative speaking, isn't it? Anybody wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you're like, you're horrible. You're the worst person in the whole wide world. I hate you. Right? Not that you wake up and you go, man, you're so gorgeous. I think you're bald and beautiful, baby. You know what I'm saying? I don't do that, you know. But you get where I'm coming from. We call it self-talk. Anybody beat themselves down? You know, I was talking to a minister friend of mine, and he's got a, he made a decision, and, and that decision, it just really kind of self-destructed, and, and, and the situation it didn't turn out the way he thought it was going to turn out. And, and as he was talking, he's just like, you know, I'm just stupid. I don't know why I did that, and dot, 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 and going down through. I want to know, anybody in here batting a thousand? And that's what I said. I said, who bats a thousand, man? Jesus did. That's why we need him, you know. We need the best coach on the planet. He gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could be led by the Spirit, right? And we won't fulfill the works of the flesh. Sometimes we get led off. Here's my thing, is that when you feel like something's gone wrong, seek his counsel, go to his word, pray, so that the Holy Spirit can give you guidance. And you know what? Change your course of direction. Just change. That, that's what repentance actually is. is it's Repentance is, is I'm going this direction Man, this isn't working out. This isn't working out. I'm just going to keep going that way, though. And maybe one day it'll work out. Right? We all know what that is, right? The definition of insanity. Keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different answer. No. Do an about face. Do the 180. Repent of going your own direction and trusting God and follow his word. Amen? Now, uh, what we see is is right here i'm going to read this go ahead and put that scripture up there joshua 1 1 through 10 we're going to do a quick just read through and try to give you the in a nutshell what this is all about uh it goes verse 1 after the death of moses the servant of the lord it came to pass that the lord spoke to joshua the son of nun moses's assistant saying moses my servant is dead now therefore arise go over this jordan you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. You see, this is the moment of what God promised to Abraham back here. He promised it. He told him it would be the fourth generation. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, here is the fourth generation about to enter in. Joshua has been serving Moses for 40 years. He loved Moses dearly. You know, you could understand the guy, 40 years of relationship, serving this guy, just loved him tremendously. He was the second in command to Moses. And Joshua is mourning his, his loss of Moses. And I mean, how callous of God to come along and just like make that statement. Look, Moses, my servant, is dead. Get up, dude, and get to moving. You see what I'm saying? That's really what's going on. Look, I know you're sad. He's up here with me. One day you get to hang out with him, but right now on the earth, you have purpose and you have mission. Get busy and follow my ways. He goes on, he says, he says, now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, 
and the great uh, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. The land which I swore. There is a promise that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that had to do with that promise initially made to Abraham, followed down through what was called then from Moses, Joshua, and on. Those three men was referred to their fathers. Their fathers before them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes on and he says, uh, this book of the law, now, this is, this is where God started. Here's all the promise. He's reminding him of the promise to the forefathers, and now you are the one to carry this out and live it out. And here's what happens. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What did I say the word promise meant? Right? Let me let me let me read that to you again real quick here. The word promise, ready? Declaration assuring that one will or will not do something to afford a basis for expecting. Here's that point where we can have an expectation. Joshua can have an expectation because of what God has promised. Now watch, here's the final one. An assurance of future success. It's in the American dictionary. An assurance of future success. And this is exactly what God's saying to him. If he will. If he will meditate upon God's law day and night, upon, let's just say this, the word of God day and night, that if he would set it before him day and night and not let it depart from him. Don't let TV distract you. I'm trying to get to that point so you can go watch the football game. But don't let the football distract you from putting the word of God before you day and night. Don't let food distract you from putting the word of God before you day and night. Don't let fun distract you from putting the word of God before you day and night. Don't let necessity distract you from putting the word of God before you day and night. You ever heard, hear of working harder, not smarter? Working smarter is to be in covenant, to be in, in, in a connection with God. That when you face difficulties in life, that your first thing isn't you just going to how can I figure this out? But God, can you give me a witty idea? It's turning to him and asking him according to his word, his promise to you. God, can you show me how to come through this, how to deal with it, how to come out the other side? Blessed, succeeding, prosperous. And Lord, my promise to you as you fulfill your promise to me is to give you all the glory for it, to honor you in it and to make sure that everybody I come into contact with knows that you are the one that has made me prosperous. See, that's what Abraham mastered in his life that we talked about last week. When he succeeded, and they said, hey, Abraham, look, why don't you? And he's like, nope, I'm giving a tithe because it will not be said that any man has done this for me. When he came out the other end of this, see, he was following God in his orders to him in, in, in obedience to what God told him to do, and he does it. And as he does it, when he comes out the other side, Everybody else around him begins to tell him, honor yourself. And Abraham says, uh-uh, no, no, it will not be said of me that I have done this or any other man has done this for me, but it will be said that God has done this for me. 
It is so vital because it's in that moment that our our faith is tested in its greatest manner. Why? It's easy to call upon God when we're in a hardship. But to be in that place where, okay, everything's good now, all of a sudden we walk off and forget the Lord. And this is how God says that we forget it. Will, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me of tithes and offerings. Why is that so important? Because there's nothing else you can put your trust in more on this earth. And if I've got money, I'm pretty good to go. And this earth is full of that. Our nation, America, has been the most blessed nation there is. And it is following the pattern. I submit this to you. It is following the pattern of Israel. When Israel was struggling... You go back to the Great Depression, the greatest revivals, the greatest preaching, the most passionate pursuit of God for this nation happened in what they called the Great Awakening. And in that time, people were faithful to God. And God blessed us as a nation beyond our wildest imagination. And yet now, everybody's squabbling at the table. Washington wants to tax us more. This is not a political statement. This is a fact. Say amen if that's a fact. It just keeps on going and keeps on going. And it's going to keep growing, right? And then, and then you have in, 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 in the place of the, in the workplace, the challenge is, is that if more is going out that way, how in the world do you, how do you take care of people in that regard? That's the squabbling that goes on. What do you hear all the time, right? You hear Wall Street and Washington, D.C. Wall Street, Washington, D.C. It's the... You know, it's the fat cat business guys and it's the fat cat government guys. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. But in God's eyes, the whole earth is his and the fullness thereof. And the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous. What did we say about Abraham back there? Because of his faith, God said this. Because of his faith, it was, it was accounted to him. It was accounted. You know what accounting is, right? It was deposited in his account with God for righteousness. And David said this, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. Never. That's a pretty declarative statement. What was a promise? It's a declarative statement about what one will or will not do. And David makes that declarative statement about God, that God will, he wills not to Forsake the righteous or let their seed beg bread, their children beg bread. Verse 9 says, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, I want to say this. That. That when a person, there's nothing quite like a person that makes a promise that follows through on a promise. Amen. I remember the uh, my first memory of my dad. I remember the first promise he made. I I mean, distinctively a promise he made. And one day he said, hey, when I get off work today, I'm going to take you fishing. And you want to know something? I can't remember all those other times. But what I do remember is distinctively that day when my dad looked me in the eyes and said, I'm going to take you fishing today when I get back home from work. And I, I, I'm sitting on the front porch, man. It was like, you know what it is. It's kind of like that moment where you're just so expectant. And I'm on the front porch, right? I'm sitting on the rail. It's like a wide railing thing. And as a kid, you can sit on that thing without breaking. I couldn't probably now. But I'm sitting there just dangling my feet, 
anticipating, expecting. There's an expectancy in me. My dad's going to be here and he's going to take me fishing. And I will never forget when he pulls up, there was nothing in me that was saying, well, he's probably not going to do it. I just knew because he promised me. I promise tomorrow I'll take you fishing when I get home from work. And I'm sitting there with great expectancy. He's going to come home. We're going fishing. I'm ready to go. I got my little, you know, boots on and, you know, ready to go to the, to the pond and go fishing. He pulls up. Not only does he take me fishing. I got this old pole, you know, it's an old, you know, the cane poles. When I was a kid, we had the little cane pole. You had to, like, you had to get that line back there. You'd almost walk back and I'd drag it up and then I'd swing it out into the water, right? And uh, threw it out there a couple times, you know, as a kid, you just don't quite get the sink of that. But there I am. And not only does he get out of the truck to take me fishing, but he gets out with the new, new Zebco 202. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's like a state-of-the-art rod and reel back then, man. It was the stuff, right? So he gets out, assembles a rod, and we go fishing, fulfillment of promise. There's nothing quite like receiving a promise from somebody when they look in the eyes and they say, hey, I promise this. Hey, I promise you. The only thing that trumps it is when they follow through. It's when they come through on the promise that they've made. Here's the deal. God has never failed to come through on any promise he's made to mankind. God has delivered. Now, we may fall short in that, but God has delivered on every promise that he's ever made to mankind. He found a man back here in Abraham that will follow through. And because of his faith, if you will, his promise back to God to not take his eyes off of him, what happens is God attributes to him that is righteousness. Because of that right standing, we end up with a Lord and Savior that pays a price to place every one of us in right standing. (laughs) Here's the amazing thing. Faith for us begins with trusting Jesus in what God's provided for us through his son. We get something Abraham didn't have so much of. We get something the children of Israel didn't have. Grace existed, but it existed on, on a level of you know, accountability that was account first grace. You know, if you're willing to do this, then we'll give you grace. But for us, God extends grace through his son. Because it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. See, grace is there already. And and, and if you will, we walk through that, that uh, almost like a portal of faith into the fullness of God's grace. That his anger is not stored up to be poured out on us. But rather his promises are held in suspension over us. That when we step through that portal of faith in Jesus Christ. That all the promises do become yes and amen. Through him. Through our trust in him. When you get right down to it. I don't know who I was talking to the other day. I think it was one of my kids. They said something to me, or there was something going on. You know how that is. You raise, you know, you're trying to raise them in the ways of the Lord that when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And you start seeing a concept, if you will, that you're thinking, yeah, that's not what the Word of God teaches us. So um, it was one of those moments where, uh, you know, as they're talking, I'm saying, you know, well, this is what the Word of God asks us to do, commands us to do, if you will. And so that's walking according to his will. 
And when you walk according to his will, what are you doing? You place yourself under. I was talking to Debbie a little bit. They're, they're doing their study in their, in their life group on what's called honor's reward. And she was saying that, that, that one of the things that's taught in there that's drawn out of Scripture is that if you don't honor, there's no reward. If you don't honor the Lord, then there's no reward. Why? Because you don't place yourself under Him. You're away from Him rather than with Him. To be with is to go His way. And you know what? It's to be okay going His way. There, there are people, if you will, doing what we call the drag. Heels are in the ground. It's like, I don't want to go this way, but I guess i got to go this way. God's interested in your motive, not just your method, right? He wants you to want to go with him. He wants you to recognize that going with him is better for you, amen? Let me uh, wrap this up by giving you um, five things that I think are, are detrimental to seeing the promise of God fulfilled in our lives. Uh, to, to possess the promise of God, we have to discover his will and then we need to own it. When you know God's will for your life, you need to own it. It's your responsibility to follow his will for your life. He can't make you do it. That's the thing about free will, right? He can't force you. Maybe he could, but he doesn't. He chooses not to because it's not in his design. And he sets before you a way to walk, and then you choose to walk in it or deny it. His promise exists in honoring him. So, uh, one, the first thing that I think we need to have these uh, five components, if you will, to follow through on following God and, and, and uh, to know his will. Uh, a solid working knowledge of scripture. That's the first one. You've got to be in the Bible to know. You've got to know his language to communicate, right? So a solid working knowledge of scripture. It means you need to read the Bible. Read some books, you know. You, you're reading something, you got a question, find a pastor, find another believer. It's like, hey, have you ever read this scripture? What, what is that talking about? You know, be interested, be hungry to find out what God's promises are to you. Uh, two, a life that includes prayer. You know, a life that includes prayer. Now you know the will of God, and you need to pray around that. You need to, to, to saturate that in prayer. What are you doing in prayer? You're inviting the Holy Spirit to commune with the Holy Spirit, to engage the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit, right? They three are one. The Holy Spirit is God. It's God here living in you. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. God dwells right in you to have a conversation. What is prayer? A conversation. It's like, I don't know how to pray. You know how many people, when I talk to them, they're like, I don't know how to pray. They, they, they're like, when you pray, pastor, it's so anointed. Really? Is it? Is it? It's like, well, it's just like, it just flows out of you. Yeah, does it? Let me tell you where that started. It didn't start on a platform. It started in a closet. It, it started just by engaging and communicating with God. I didn't know how to pray either. I, I remember the first time I went in my prayer closet, they're like, you need to get in your prayer closet and pray. And I'm like, okay. So what did I do? I had this little desk. It's like a little teeny desk. Or is it Angie's not in here, so I think she wasn't back here. Had a little teeny desk, and we had a, a, like a walk-in closet in our house in Arizona when I was in the military. And I put this little desk right at the back. And I had just like a, a little folding chair that I'd fold up and put back. But that was my, and I'd have my Bible right there, and I would go in my closet, and I'd sit down. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? I took it literal. And I'd go in that closet and shut the door. <laughs> Didn't get bothered in there, you know what I'm saying? I'd shut the door, and I would sit, and I had a light in there, and, and I would sit and read the scriptures, and then I'd pray. And, and here's kind of how it went is, God, um, I love you. 
Lord, uh, just want you to work in my life. And, and uh, Father, I pray for this person. And, Lord, I pray for that person. And, and uh, it's kind of like moving along through it. But as I would talk with God, all of a sudden I would begin to sense that still small voice, the Holy Spirit speaking back to me. And then I'd be quiet. Daddy, you ever had uh, met somebody popular? Anybody ever met a star? Raise your hand if you've met like a football player. Or, you know, when you met them, were you kind of like, was it, you know, your moment? You're like, oh, I want to talk to them. I want to talk to them. You kind of, other people are around and you're kind of making sure you're, they're moving down the line. If you've ever seen it, you position yourself you, and then all of a sudden they take this angle and you're like, woo-hoo. You put yourself back to where they're coming your way and you see them change angle and you're like, okay, that's where they're going. <laughs> that's what prayer feels like sometimes. You sense that wrestling around with trying to find where is God at? What are you saying, Lord? And all of a sudden when he speaks to you, look, when that person speaks to you, they got your undivided attention because you want to be there. You want to meet them. You want to get close to them. I say that God should probably hold a higher place in our lives in that regard. Here would be my question. If there was somebody famous here, would you be thinking to yourself, I want to know more of God's word. I want to listen to what's being preached or I can't wait till service is over to meet that person. You get what I'm saying? What do we place in the highest order in our life? Well, I could uh, go meet with my friend. I can go hang out with my friends. I can go do this. I could go do that. I can watch a football game. I can do this. Or I can meet with God. And I'm telling you that it comes down to the higher we place him in our life, the greater reward we'll get. Why? Because what we honor the greatest is what we're rewarded by. When I watch my son, when the, when, when the, when the Green Bay Packers win, man, he is on cloud nine. When they lose, I watch him get angry. I watch him cry sometimes. I've watched him. Is he in here? I didn't think he was. I've watched him cry over it. And I'm like, son, you need to get that under control. Because you know what? I don't see you get that excited about worship. I don't see you get that excited about hearing the word of God. And I don't see you get that disappointed about when you don't get touched by God or when you don't understand something about God. We, we tend to put our affections on things. See, that's what an idol is. Anything you place your affection on that finds itself in its highest place in your life. Where is God in that pecking order, if you will? Where do you have him? Is he in the highest place or the lowest place? Prayer is that, um, I think prayer is that place you build the relationship to where he, he come, becomes higher and higher. Why? Because of your personal connection. Three, the counsel of wise, godly friends. Have people around you that you can, you know, run things by, you know? What do you think about it? I was reading the scripture and I feel like it's telling me this, but... Have people, because every successful enterprise in your life is a great enterprise, is built on wise planning, right? Go to war with wise counsel, right? You need the multitude of counsel. There's safety. Uh, four, circumstances. Um, has anybody ever tried something over and over and over again and it just doesn't work? God might be telling you, no, you're not going that direction, <laughs> Because if you pray through something and it's just not working out, not working out, not working out, you know, being in your prayer closet and seeking the Lord on that, and you're like, God, I just need this to work, and it doesn't work again. And then you go next time, and God, I just need this to be, and it doesn't work again. It's kind of like the ones that go to their prayer closet and say, God, I need her to fall in love with me. And you go talk to her, and she's like, get away from me. It's like, Lord, it didn't work. You need to do something in her life. And 
I've seen people do that. That's going to be my wife. I don't care. And yet she wants nothing to do with that person. But God will change her. Really? That's going to happen. You get what I'm saying? It is very important for us to know that sometimes circumstance is that, that, that place of saying, okay, if I've prayed through this and prayed through it and prayed through it, and the answer keeps coming up as no, maybe you need to go ahead and take the hint and move another direction in your life. I've seen people work the same jobs, miserable as all get out, over and over and over again, petrified by fear to move another direction. But I promise you, if you hear God and he tells you to go another direction, when you go that direction, you'll find yourself at peace and with the blessing of God upon your life. Can you say amen, saints? So, and five, in closing, your desires. If you have, uh, if you've surrendered your heart to God, you know, if you're spirit and you're in the, a new life with Christ, you need to take note of your desires. In other words, it, so in other words, it's kind of like, this is the measure for your desires. I want to be wealthy so that I can just use it all for myself. Or I want to be wealthy so that I can be a blessing to others. Right? I, I wanna, I've heard people, I want to be famous, you know, so that I can have power. Or I want to be famous so that I can help people. Think about it this way, referring back to Abraham when I'm speaking about that. You can check your desires by this. Are they selfish or are they giving? It's always going to be that way. Is it for me or is it so that I can help others? For Abraham, all the blessing he got from God and all the promise that he got and all that was fulfilled, what happened? Abraham already knew that it wouldn't all be for him. God promised him an old, you know, he, he would die at an old age, a ripe old age, and he was going to be blessed. But Abraham understood that the promised land, the ultimate promise of fulfillment, it's like what my descendants are going to be in slavery. That's your promise to me. Oh, thanks a lot. I don't want to talk to you anymore. There might be some difficulty and hardship in the midst of what God promises you. But I guarantee you, it is for your benefit, but more than just yourself, it will be for the benefit of others. Why did he suffer death on a cross? You know, the Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And he endured the cross ha, because of the promise set before him. And what was the promise? He knew that God would raise him from the dead. No, that wasn't the promise. You know what the promise was? The promise was you and I. Jesus went to that cross with a giving heart. He even declared this. But I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. And here's the thing about covenant with God. Abraham chose to do these things. I'm not telling you this stuff to make you do anything. Hopefully I'm challenging you to talk to your God. To establish that relationship and hear what he would have for you. What's his promise to you? And when he makes his promises to you, will you follow in the footsteps of Abraham? Will you follow in the footsteps of Jesus? And will you trust that that promise is not just for you? It will be for others around you. It'll be for your own children and the, and the descendants you have. And it'll be for the people you work with. It'll be for the people you play with to bring them into the promise of the kingdom. Amen. Stay in your seat with me, if you would. We'll read this scripture. And I want to pray over you. Here's what Jesus, he declared in Luke 9, 60 through 62. 
And, and really, I think it has all to do with not being selfish, with understanding that the kingdom is much bigger than us. And when we put our hand to the plow, that there's just an element of keeping your eyes and your heart, if you will, set upon the things of the kingdom, because this is what Jesus clearly declares. Again, Luke 9, 60 through 62. And it almost seems like Jesus is callous here, but he's not. He's talking about the importance of the kingdom of God being manifest among us. It'll only happen if we stay focused on his kingdom and allow it to come through us. He says, verse 60, let those who are spiritually dead care for their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach the coming of the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I would say on that day, there's some folks standing around there thinking, man, Jesus is callous to talk about people's loved ones dying and they don't need to be focusing on them, but focusing on the kingdom. A, a, a young man saying, well, I'll go, I'll follow you, but let me go back and say goodbye to my mom and dad. Nope. Says, don't, don't set your hand to the plow and look back. Now, Jesus wasn't literally saying you can't go say goodbye to your mom and dad, if you will. What he's saying is, I'm not asking you to say goodbye to your mom and dad. If anything, you can win them too. But I want you to keep your heart set upon the kingdom. Because when your heart is set upon the kingdom, you become an influence to everything else around you. Abraham became an influence for generations and generations and generations because his heart was set upon the kingdom. He had a meaningful relationship with God. and He brought that for others to be able to receive. Jesus was the same. He was lighthearted. And as a result, blessing has been bestowed upon every one of us. Can we take that and carry that to the generation that we live in so that the generation that comes will, ha will have something re to receive in the promises of God? Bow your heads, close your eyes, please. Father, right now, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, only you know the situations of each person's life. Lord, be it monetary situations, relational situations, Lord God, work situations, God, emotional situations, physical situations, Lord God, healing that's needed, deliverance that's needed, blessing that's needed. Now, God, I pray that all of us do that evaluation in our life where our relationship with, is with you as we carry out this week. Lord, that we would look at those things and we would begin to, to set in our prayer closet. Go to that place where we can begin to speak to you about, God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Lord, there's nothing wrong with that conversation. That's exactly what we read one place after another through Scripture. So, Father, I pray that we wouldn't just accept the hardships that this life deals up, that the, 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 the fall of this uh, world, the fallen nature of this world that we wouldn't just accept. We wouldn't accept the curse of sickness. We wouldn't accept the curse of poverty. We would not accept, Lord God, dysfunction in relationships. But God, we would put a demand on you, an expectancy that, God, you want to bless us with your promise. And that, Lord, we would set ourselves, as Habakkuk said, on the rampart, if you will, on the wall, in a place to watch and pray. And that, Lord, we would listen to hear what you say when you come and correct us. That's what he says. And that, God, you would speak to those areas of our life that you want to tweak, 
and adjust to put us right under you where we can give you honor for what you're doing in our life. And that, God, we can receive the reward of your promise in our life. God, I pray all of us would take inventory in this coming week. Assess those areas of our life. And, Lord, things that are not right with you, we would make them right in Jesus' name. God, those areas that where we've accepted sickness or poverty, Lord God, we would bring them into submission to your word that you have said that you came to give us life and life more abundantly. You do want us to prosper even as our soul prospers. But sometimes we got to get our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soul, in right place in your word, Lord God. Obedience to your word so that you can cause us to prosper as our soul is prospering. Father, I pray all those things over our church family. Those, those that aren't here today, God, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts even as they're traveling or or with their loved ones out and about, God, that there would be a higher place that we are called to as members here in this church to live according to your word, to make a place, Lord God, of prayer, of communication with you. And God, that we would find ourselves walking according to your will because we've chosen to, to be obedient just like Abraham did, just like Jesus did all the way to the cross. Even though we may suffer things from time to time, God, we will remain obedient to your word so that you will bring us through it by faith and reward us according to our faith and account it to us as righteousness that we have placed our trust in God and not in the situations around us. God, I pray your blessings as we go today that people would enjoy their time with their family and friends. And Lord, that their week would go well. And then Lord, as it does, that they would give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Um, I do need to do just a, a moment of business. You can remain standing. It'll take me a second. Uh, the church was broke into last week.